This episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence, gore, and harm against animals. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single text or myth about the beasts of Revelation. Today's episode combines elements from different texts, including the Book of Revelation, for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is our series on biblical beasts. Each week, we'll encounter a different unholy terror from ancient texts and learn how they shaped Judeo-Christian beliefs. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we open the final book of the New Testament and one of the most debated texts in religious history, the Book of Revelation. Revelation is full of sensational imagery and apocalyptic musings, but today we'll be discussing a set of strange and fearsome creatures at the center of its story. Coming up, we meet a wise old prophet and his eager scribe. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money. Up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Seven-headed dragons, leopards wearing crowns, evil talking sheep. These might sound like something from the pages of a fantasy novel, but they're actually beasts from the Bible's apocalyptic final tome, the Book of Revelation. The book is often attributed to Jesus' apostle John and is thought to have been written between the reigns of Roman emperors Nero and Domitian between 54 and 96 CE. Instead of being a straightforward text like the other books of the New Testament, Revelation takes the form of an urgent letter. The Apostle John wrote Revelation to seven ancient churches in the hopes of aligning various sects of the burgeoning Christian religion. However, despite its format, Revelation reads like a kind of epic poem, one complete with demonic, otherworldly monsters. And these are the beasts. 
In Revelation, John describes them as the great red dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast of the earth, and each represented a different internal or external threat to Christianity. At the time, Christian churches were succumbing to the influence of Roman authorities and imperial cults, which preached the emperor's divinity. Meanwhile, other congregations were led astray by false prophets. To John, these issues were metaphorical monsters, as destructive as any actual ancient evil. Building off the legendary beasts of ancient Jewish texts and other religions, John's Book of Revelation paints an apocalypse more suited for a Hollywood blockbuster than the New Testament of the Bible. His visions show death raining down from the heavens and a monstrous beast rising from the sea to demand the fealty of weak, naive humans. Was John attempting to scare the young church straight, or was he offering the promise of righteous vengeance? The truth has been debated since the letters spread out across the Mediterranean, but regardless of the Book of Revelation's purported meaning, the terrifying beasts within it cannot be ignored. Rufus stared out from the mouth of his cave at the lone Roman sentry standing guard on the beach below. He figured the sentry hated being stranded on the rocky isle of Patmos as much as he did. They were both around 16 and totally isolated from the outside world. In a way, they were both in exile. He called out to the guard, So what did you do to anger your commander? I'm speaking to you, Gentile. Turn around. Rufus taunted the sentry all day, but the Roman never turned away from the sea. He just stared westward, awaiting relief from Rome. Rufus shook his head. He won't deign to look at us. He thinks we're meek Christians. Well, we'll see how meek he finds us when our holy vengeance sweeps across the empire. An old voice called out from the cave behind him, now, now, Rufus, God did not send his son to condemn the world. He sent him to save it. It was the prophet John. The old man was nearly 80 and quite frail, but he held power over Rufus. He was purported to be the last living friend and apostle of Jesus Christ. Rufus turned, his fervor building. The Messiah may have preached patience and love to you, but he will return with glorious vengeance. The Romans' unholy empire will be crushed by the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings, and will send their survivors to die on far-off islands. John smiled and shook his head at the passionate young man. The Jesus I knew was concerned about the salvation of all, Romans included. Rufus stepped into the cave toward John's spot by the fire, ready for a friendly debate. But before Rufus could speak, John's head jerked back and he let out a guttural wail. He was having another one of his visions. John had no control over when they came, but Rufus kept a quill handy to scribble down the prophet's words. 
Being John's scribe was a high honor, as these visions came directly from God. He couldn't miss a word. John blinked. He was no longer in the cave. He stood in the middle of a great, misty valley that rolled down to the sea. And he wasn't the only one there. A lively mass of humanity surrounded him. John scanned the crowd. Jesus, brother, are you here? Show me what I need to see. John hoped to see his old friend, but the Son of God was nowhere to be seen. He looked around. Thousands of faces, Jewish and Roman, Egyptian and Nubian, gawked at a giant golden throne that rose into the clouds. John wanted to take in its majesty too, but he was distracted by someone he recognized at the front of the crowd. It wasn't Jesus, it was Rufus. The hair on John's arm stood up. He'd never seen Rufus in a vision before. John pushed against the crowd and shouted for Rufus, but the boy's eyes were locked on the throne and the dark smoke that surrounded it. Someone or something sat on the throne, but John couldn't see their face in the clouds. All he could see were legs the color of a sunset and a massive red hand in the seated creature's lap. The fingers were shiny and hard like a rock, and they gripped a scroll with seven wax seals on it. John jumped as a chant echoed across the valley. The words, holy, 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 repeated and multiplied, and yet the crowd around him was silent. Everyone was just as frightened and confused as he was. John scanned the hills that loomed on the horizon when the mist began to lift. He saw then that there wasn't just one throne. The valley was filled with them, 24 in all, smaller than the throne that reached into the sky, but on each sat a crowned giant with a flowing white beard. John looked back to the tallest throne, the giant stone hand held out the scroll. A voice boomed from the clouds. Who is worthy of opening these seals? The ground shook as one by one, the giants threw the crowns from their head in shame at the feet of the largest throne. John heard a voice call from the crowd. It was Rufus. None of them are worthy. Only the Lion of Judah can open the seals. The Lion will bring us justice. Just then, the crowns burst into flames. The smoke was so thick that John could barely see. He choked, waving his hand in front of his face to clear the air. Soon he could see a shape begin to take form. A mighty roar rang out across the valley. John trembled. It felt wrong. He couldn't feel Jesus' presence like he usually did. This felt more like the vengeful fury Rufus had yearned for. The Lion of Judah was going to bring the righteous bloodletting of the Roman Empire, just as Rufus had hoped. The smoke cleared and John's jaw dropped. The beast standing in their midst wasn't the mighty lion he was expecting. It was a lamb. 
the creature was three times the size of an elephant with seven horns and seven eyes, but the lamb's white fleece was drenched in blood. It was barely alive. John dropped to his knees, fear rattling his old bones. He knew this vision wasn't just a message of vengeance. It did not mean the Christian's suffering was ending. No, it was clear to him now, everything was coming to an end. Coming up, John witnesses Satan's beasts war with the heavens. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast Network. The Vatican is one of the most recognizable religious sites in the world, but it's also a powerful institution. Its unique history full of secrecy. This Easter, my show Conspiracy Theories looks deep into the church's past to uncover how it became what it is today. Starting April 5th, our new four-part miniseries, Mysteries of the Vatican, dives in to examine some of the most prominent conspiracy theories surrounding this mysterious organization. From the church's sordid rise to power, to prophetic visions, and even assassination attempts. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories, to hear Mysteries of the Vatican. New episodes air every Monday and Wednesday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. Rufus set down his quill as the prophet John blinked awake in the cave. He'd been excited at the beginning of the apocalyptic vision and raced to write down the old man's mutterings. He was so curious about the hand that held a wax-sealed scroll. But as the vision went on, he grew confused. John's image of a dying, seven-horned lamb was not the savior Rufus hoped for. His fellow Christians needed a strong leader to defeat the Roman Empire. They needed the Lion of Judah. As John finally opened his eyes, Rufus asked, Prophet, if this is the end, who will lead us? A lamb cannot enact our holy vengeance. John fumbled for his wineskin and took a sip. His words were soft and low. Rufus, the prophecy you want is not always the prophecy you get. Rufus glared at him. The church has already tried love and tolerance, and it got us shipped to this island. You saw for yourself, the lamb was dying. Does Christ want his flock to suffer forever? John didn't answer. His head jerked back and he screamed, another vision. Rufus dropped to his knees and grabbed his quill. John reached for his scribe, his voice trembling. The final battle is near. Then his eyes rolled back into his skull. John found himself on a mountain, looking over the same teeming mass of humanity in the valley below. Despite the darkened sky, he could see Rufus at the front of the crowd, facing a massive throne and a seven-horned lamb that was clinging to its life. A crown smoldered at its feet. 
The lamb peered its many eyes up at the red giant on the throne that held the sealed wax scroll. Then, to John's surprise, the lamb reached out a hoof and began to pull apart the wax seals. John looked up in wonder as a white horse flew down through the clouds. Astride it was a rider, dressed for war, with a bow slung across his back. The horseman landed by the crown at the lamb's feet. Then he snatched it off the ground and put it on his head. He then rode up to Rufus and held out his bow. John's heart sank as his scribe took the weapon and loaded an arrow. He understood now. The seals were releasing a reckoning, and now Rufus could have his vengeance. John looked up to the sky, his panic rising as three more horsemen floated down from the clouds to land beside the first. The four horsemen turned their gaze to Rufus and waited as if they were encouraging him without saying a word. John pleaded for Rufus to stop, but the young man couldn't hear him, or perhaps he didn't want to. The scribe turned the bow toward a Roman in the crowd, one who looked just like the sentry guarding their cave in the real world. John cried out, no, but Rufus shot the arrow, piercing the Roman's chest. And that was all it took to spark a war. John thought the war between good and evil would be fought in the heavens, but instead he watched as the earthly valley filled with blood. Jews, Romans, Nubians, and Egyptians clawed and stabbed at one another, and all the while Rufus basked in his enemy's blood. John shouted with anger to the heavens, Where are you, Jesus? They're going to obliterate each other. But there was no answer from John's old friend. The prophet looked back to the war. His heart ached as he realized, everyone is seeking vengeance and everyone feels like they're in the right. He had to stop this insanity. John stumbled down the hill, trying to figure out how an old man like him could have any impact on a battle. Deep down, he knew he couldn't, at least not on the warriors. His eyes darted to the massive, dying lamb who had opened the first few seals on the scroll. Its seven horns hung low, tears streaming from its eyes. John didn't understand. Why was the beast crying? It was responsible for all of this, and there were still three more seals to be opened. He had to stop it. John scrambled to get over to the lamb, but the creature moved too quickly for him. With regret in its many eyes, the lamb tore open the last three seals. Trumpets echoed across the valley, and the clouds rolled back like a scroll. John looked up, but he could no longer see the heavens. In their place was a massive red dragon that took up half the sky. Its skin pulsed like lava in a volcano. Seven long necks uncoiled from the dragon's body, stretching out over the earth. Each head wore a crown and bore sharp fangs. 
Then the dragon swiped its tail across the sky. The tail sparked as it hit the stars, each one exploding as the dragon swept them all up and sent them pummeling down to the earth below. The human survivors of the war fled into the caves that dotted the valley. They knew as well as John did who this red dragon was. It was Satan. John squinted to look past the dragon. A bright light shone in the sky, high up and impossibly distant, with a dark figure silhouetted against it. John hoped that this was finally Jesus. He needed his friend here to control this chaos. But as the light grew closer and the silhouettes multiplied, he realized that it wasn't Jesus. These were angels. But they weren't coming in peace. They were clad for war, too. This cosmic battle would burn across the skies. The angels attacked the dragon from all sides. The ones bearing swords stabbed it, while the archers released a torrent of arrows. The dragon roared, its seven mouths devouring a hundred angels in one bite. But more arrows rained down from the sky. The dragon was overwhelmed, swarmed by angelic warriors like ants on a rotting corpse. Its blood fell like fire on the battlefield below, and the dragon sank from the sky. The earth shook as it landed on the ground. Then, finally, it collapsed. John cheered. Maybe this was a joyful prophecy after all. He had feared the violence, but now the armies of heaven and the might of good had won. Feeling stronger, John rushed down the hillside toward the caves. He hoped Rufus was still alive. He needed to get him out of there before the boy was killed or corrupted any further. But as he reached the valley, the ground began to rattle. John skidded to a stop, and his eyes went wide. The dragon wasn't dead. It rose up, looming over the dying lamb, and bellowed a demonic roar. John looked to the end of the valley, where the sea boiled and steam rose into the sky. A massive crown broke through the waves. Then another, and another, seven feline heads with sharp black horns emerged from the water. But as with the other beasts, it wasn't seven different creatures. It was one seven-headed leopard-like beast the size of Noah's Ark. The beast from the sea roared as it crawled ashore, and John could see it clearly. One head was unlike the others. It had a long, open gash in the middle of its skull, like a sword had cleaved it in two. That head seemed to be dead. John fell to the ground, clutching his own head between his hands, willing himself to wake up. He hated this vision and he wanted it to end. It was too much. He couldn't stop this otherworldly chaos. He was just a weak old man, trapped in his own mind, and Jesus was nowhere to be found. The beast from the sea lumbered beside the dragon. 
the dragon reached out a claw to touch it, and the creature's dying head shook to life. Then the ground rumbled. The valley split in two, sending a massive crack headed straight for John. It was like a reminder from the heavens, or from hell, that he couldn't just sit and do nothing. John stood, desperately searching for a way out of the rift's path. Just then, Rufus's voice cut through the chaos. John turned to see his scribe at the mouth of a cave. The cave looked just like the one they were imprisoned in on the island. He wasn't sure if this was real or a vision, but it didn't matter. John ran to Rufus, rocks sliding out from under his feet with each step. Then he leapt, reaching out to his scribe's outstretched arms. Rufus caught John's hands and John looked down. His scratched, bloody feet dangled over a black abyss. He was grateful when Rufus pulled him to safety. John looked from the cave out at the valley. In front of the dragon and the beast from the sea stood another creature with two horns like a lamb, the beast of the earth. It looked just like the dying lamb, but this one's coat wasn't bloody. It was pristine and white. The new lamb-horned beast opened its mouth and spoke with a deep growl. Mortals, look upon the slain lamb. He hasn't fought for you. He is barely alive, but the great dragon offers safety. Worship your conquering hero, for he will protect you from harm. John turned toward Rufus. His scribe looked terrified, his voice trembling. Why would the Messiah allow this, John? If Jesus is so righteous, where is he? John shook his head and realized he did not feel so charitable toward his angry scribe anymore. Rufus had shot the arrow that had doomed them all. His desire for vengeance had ruined them. This is not Jesus' will, John said spitefully. This is your will, Rufus. You started this when you picked up that bow. John shivered as Rufus's eyes narrowed in anger. The boy raised his hand. Rufus slapped John's face, and the prophet tumbled to the ground, confused. He was back in the cave, and Rufus gave him no time to recover. He loomed over him, and to John's delirious eyes, he seemed as tall as the beast from his vision. Rufus cried, "'Your vision is a lie! That crowned beast from the sea? I am no prophet, but even I know that it symbolizes Rome, and we are the dying lamb.' I cannot stand by while we're conquered, John. How can you? John could feel the boy's anger and his pain too. Rufus felt abandoned by John and John felt abandoned by Jesus. He muttered, maybe you're right. Maybe all I'm good for is telling silly stories about my fallen friend. Rufus crouched at John's side, put a comforting hand on his shoulder and said gently, we can fix things. Rufus reached for John's cane. John thought the boy was going to hand it to him, but instead, Rufus raised it high and proclaimed, we'll start by killing the Roman sentry outside. 
Coming up, John's final vision is revealed, and Rufus's fate is sealed. Now back to the story. John scrambled to his feet, trying to catch Rufus as he ran out of the cave. The boy was going to kill the Roman sentry guarding them, and the old man wasn't fast enough to chase his young scribe. He cried out, Rufus, wait! We must wait! John needed time to understand. The withered prophet had seen terrifying visions of giant beasts, a dying lamb, a dragon from the sky, a leopard from the sea, and a new lamb who spoke with the devil's voice. It was a lot to decipher. The visions showed an inevitable apocalypse, but they did not tell him about his role in it, and no vision could tell him how to act in reality, where boys like Rufus turned to violence in the name of religious freedom. John stumbled to the cave's entrance, scanning the beach for his scribe, but before he could leave, he collapsed, and another vision from God blazed through his mind. John was back in the valley that gave way to a boiling sea. The sky was red above him, as red as the chasm that split the valley in two. The beasts, the great dragon, the beast of the earth and the beast from the sea, were off to one side of the chasm, with all of humanity on the other. John stood with the humans, watching their bloodied arms flail up and down. They were bowing. He stared down at the worshiper next to him. It was Rufus, and there was something on his neck, a mark. John squinted and realized it was a number, 666. He shook Rufus. Why are you worshiping this beast? A smile cracked across the boy's bloody face. This is safety. The beast will bring vengeance. John glanced from Rufus to the woman in front of him. She bore the same mark. Panicked, John looked all around him and let out a scream. Each and every person had the strange number carved into their necks. He was too late. The beast of the earth, the lamb-horned creature from the end of John's last vision, then spoke. Its low voice boomed through the atmosphere. Your marks make you mine. Go forth now and be prosperous. This land of Babylon is for you. Terror coursed through John's body. He closed his eyes and shouted to the heavens, Jesus, my friend, where are you? I have tried to keep your spirit alive, but I cannot go on any longer. I cannot push the masses toward salvation alone. Save us, please. John opened his eyes. The beasts were still there at the other side of the chasm, but the dying lamb was gone. He looked around, frantic. Then he saw it. The lamb now stood at the top of the mountain, surrounded by more than a hundred thousand people. They spoke as one thunderous voice, Alas, Babylon will fall. John felt himself lift off the ground. He looked down to see the other beasts get smaller and smaller. He rose into the air and floated to the lamb's faithful flock. 
a golden cloud appeared in the sky and floated down to them, like fog settling on the shore. John felt a warmth inside his chest. A man appeared on the cloud, bearded and unkempt, with kind eyes. John grinned. He knew this man. He'd walked beside him through the desert and ate in his home. He knew his mother, and he was with him when he died. It was Jesus. Jesus embraced his old friend, and John heaved a sigh of relief. Finally, he might get some answers. A flash of light then filled the air. John looked past Jesus toward the setting sun over the sea. It looked like the sun was brighter and closer. John suddenly realized it wasn't the sun at all. It was a river of fire. The flames engulfed the sea and consumed the valley. The dragon worshippers disappeared into the flowing inferno, and the beasts were overtaken by flames. Then the river wasn't flowing with fire anymore. Now it flowed with blood. John watched as the river of blood retreated. The land was empty, but the great chasm still cut across the valley. He could see all the way into the abyss now. The dragon and the beasts were at the bottom, bound by heavenly chains. John looked to his friend, astonished. Is this the end? I, I don't understand your message. Are you saying a little vengeance might persuade the forces of evil to stop? Jesus turned to him with a sad smile. Do not give in to your demons. In our days together, did I ever speak of vengeance? I came to stop bloodshed, not perpetuate it. And that is what you must do in your world, John. The cloud then disappeared beneath the prophet's feet, and he fell through the sky like a rock. John gasped as he landed face down in the dirt. He pushed himself off the ground and struggled to his feet. He had to stop Rufus's attack on the Roman sentry and save the boy's soul. He rushed to the cave's mouth to look down at the shore. There, Rufus and the Roman sentry were fighting on the sand. John shouted for them to stop, just as Rufus brought John's cane down on the sentry's skull. He was too late. Rufus had his vengeance and paid the price. The young scribe collapsed onto the ground next to the sentry. John screamed and sprinted down the hill, following a trail of blood to the two fallen boys. He knelt beside Rufus and took his hand. Blood spilled from seven stab wounds in his gut, and he was barely breathing. John wept for his scribe. His quest for vengeance had blinded him to Jesus' teachings. It couldn't happen again. John shuddered when he heard a voice rasp, Please. The Roman sentry's skull was crushed in, but his eyes were open, begging for help. He was the enemy, and John knew what he had to do. He clasped Rufus's hand in his right palm and took the sentry's hand with his left. He bridged the gap between the two broken boys and whispered words of comfort and forgiveness to them both as they slipped into death. 
There were no sounds beside the soft lapping of the sea. It was quiet, peaceful. John looked out at the water. Through his tears, he saw a ship on the horizon. He did not know if it was a Roman ship or Christian coming to rescue him. He only knew one thing. He had to get his visions out to the other churches before new Rufuses arose to twist God's teachings in the name of vengeance. John didn't know how he'd fight his way onto the boat. He was just a weak old man. He usually felt like he knew too much. Now he didn't have a single clue about how to proceed. But he would still try. In honor of his friend Jesus, he would try. Many attempts have been made to decipher John's visions in the book of Revelation, especially the symbolism behind its monsters. Of the beasts, only the dragon is explicitly declared to be Satan in the text, which means everything else has been subject to centuries of speculation. The dying lamb is often considered to be the church or an avatar for Jesus himself. The beast from the sea is thought to be the Roman Empire, coming from afar to impose their might on distant islands, while the beast of the earth, the lamb-horned creature that speaks like a dragon, is often seen as a representation of the imperial cults that sprung up around Roman emperors of the time. Some view the beasts of Revelation and the events of John's visions as a testament of a coming apocalypse, a reckoning with rivers of fire and blood that will cleanse the world as we know it. Others view the book as a text of its time, written to specific churches addressing a current, if evergreen, problem. If you oppress your oppressors, have you created true justice or merely achieved a temporary peace? the ways of the world repeat themselves. As much as we like to think of humans as logical beings, we often act rashly out of fear. The beasts in our nightmares are mighty and terrifying, but the beasts of our reality are even worse. Fealty to violence can offer temporary protection, but it will not bring you peace. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new biblical beast. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 